listening, loving, curious, I only like history, business, biology, Colin Pepperry, show story, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Garden Pepper Presents podcast. Today, my guest is Matias Trejo de Diaz. He's a good friend of mine. He's been my friend for about 20-some years. We met at the lottery. He was a web designer. He basically went in there and said, let me take over your web, and he did. And he did it for a good long time, and then he's moved on through the years because he's quite an active human being, and he likes to experience the world at all levels, travel the world, and do a lot of fun things. Uh, he's typically involved in some sort of organization or institution or some sort of gratuitous situation where he's trying to help folks out. Uh, typically, that happens to be in the Latin community. Uh, within uh, the Northwest, we have a large Hispanic community, and Matias having lots of Spanish guilt because of you know, the shit that happened has really just given his life to helping the Mexican people in America. And not only in America, he's gone to other countries and, and, and to work with Latin people throughout the world. And I welcome my guest today, Matias Trejo de Diaz. Thank you, Senor Fox. And thank you to your wonderful audience. It's a pleasure to be in your podcast show. Uh, thank you, man. So what, uh, tell, me, tell me about Matias of God. Matias of God. God, yeah. Uh, that is my second last name. It's Trejo de Dios. The Dios means of God. And uh, I mean, if you are name of God, well, there has to be some consequence, like everything. And I think I've been uh, in that since uh, bless. You know, uh, I'm pretty sure having an angel close to me, you know, that has been probably the one and my wife, you know, that made possible that I didn't end up 20 years in jail or any other thing, you know, bad stuff under the bridge, you know, planet Earth. You were born where? I was born in the city of Granada, southern Spain, one of the most beautiful things probably, surely, on planet Earth. But um, I didn't stay there long. I my parents back there, they were living in Northern Africa in a, in a city called Ceuta that belongs to Spain, but it's in Northern, Northern Africa. But after a few years, my early childhood in, in Ceuta, I went with my parents that were teachers to Northern Africa, Morocco, the city of Tangiers. That's where... I probably got there when I was uh, like a third grader. Mm -hmm. And when I left there, I was after the first year of high school. So the so, first place you were at, everybody spoke Spanish. It was a Spanish colony, basically a city, but it was a colonized city. Um, uh, Tanger, the north of Morocco, was uh, in the colonial uh 19th and 20th century uh, 
especially with the part of the protectorate was uh, the northern part of Morocco was the area of influence of Spain. And the southern part of Morocco was uh, France. That's the movie Casablanca. Mm-hmm. That's with the French. But then the city of Tangiers, specifically the city of Tangiers was special because that historical city at some point got the status of international city. Oh, Ah, yeah. And during World War II, it was, it was one of those sanctuary. Well, it's right on the Mediterranean. The cities where all the cool things were happening, uh-huh. including nightlife, shows, artists, etc. Uh-huh. So Tangiers has this long history of art. And then this combined with this kind of compressed reality of religion around it like the international right. with like muslim and and then the 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 catholic because of the spanish and so all of these around the society while also art is happening because it's a port and it's international right the whole world can go there that that is correct that's exactly i mean tangiers is a city of morocco which is an arab a mostly Muslim country, uh, but Tangiers itself, like many cities in the Mediterranean, you know, ports, they have been there for millennia, millennia. And you can tell that the race of those cities is the race of humankind. Romans, Carthagos, Blacks, Whites, Vikings, it's all the there. Portuguese. All, everyone there. Were the Irish there too, yeah? I'm pretty sure some of them too. Jewish, yeah. you know. You get them all. All of them. So the whole world. You know, that's the feeling I got when I went to Hong Kong the first time. I remember being in the bar and it was just like, holy shit. The whole world is here. Yeah. You Where are you from? Australia, where are you from? Oh, I'm from France. Where are you from? Oh, I'm from England. But they all could say it in English because they were in Hong Kong. So Tangiers is a beautiful city that I recommend everyone if they have the opportunity to visit before they die. And uh, and that's where I grew up. And that's where I met friends. And that's when I did start having knowledge of what's uh, life, you know, in a, in a classroom with people of four different religions, and speaking three or four different languages because in Tangiers, most people speak one, two, and three languages easily. Everyone can. Yep. Because the whole world's coming through, you have to be able to talk to each customer. Yeah. I remember in the early 80s when the U.S. carrier Eisenhower, Ike Eisenhower, was... uh, uh, almost on on bi-yearly, bi-yearly, every two years, you know, you could see the Ike Eisenhower carrier uh, stopping in uh, Tangiers. And, uh, and the boys had let out? Oh, my God. That was a oh my God. popular party. Everyone. <laughs> I saw that in the Philippines. There were- yeah. In the same Carl Vincent, and then there was another one in port for like repairs. I forget what it was. Two fleets at once. One was just there, and those guys had kind of settled in. But then another one came in because the other one was getting repairs, and the other one came in. 
two at once. Holy shit. And, you know, those things, they bring not just the big boat. They bring all the little boats that go with the big boat. Yeah. They were good times. They were good times, you know. That was back when the, the U.S. was seen by the whole Arab world, you know, like the best place on earth. Pretty much. So everybody mm-hmm. felt that way, but but there were those who, well, I guess, you know, everybody hates the popular kid, right? So no, 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 not back then. That, that oh, happened way much later, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's probably a few reasons. Huh? But anyway, so you grew up in Tangiers. Your parents were teachers. Yep. Teachers. Yeah. In a in a in a country that is a, a brother country of Spain, because Morocco and Spain, Morocco in Europe, right Morocco in Africa, and Spain in Europe, they're only separated by twelve miles of Strait of Gibraltar. Okay. Oh. The history of uh, Morocco and Spain. Well, I mean, uh, as you know, I mean, Spain before being Spain was for 800 years Arab, the southern parts of Spain, you know, Al-Andalus. Uh-huh. And, um, so there is a lot of shared history and everything, but there is a total disconnect as of today. So people in Spain, they don't know what's going on in, in Morocco, except for a few people that have been going back, you know, for tourism purposes, for men because they like the place. But out of those people, very people, they actually really know much about the Muslim culture, the Arab culture, and the language, the Arabic. So Europeans, they don't speak Arabic. But Arabic, they speak European. Yeah. Yeah, well, they were colonized, a lot of them. Like you were saying, Spanish and, and the French... And the Portuguese, like not there, but in other other countries, the Dutch. Africa is just, you know, it was kind of like this, everybody kind of came in around the edges and tried to see what they could get away with or mm-hmm. how they could build culture. I think there was a, a lot of things uh, wrongly done. Colonialism was definitely unfair. Unfair as any kind of occupation that has happened along the history of humankind, you know, yeah. that has taken and uh, and uh, and seed and uh, put seeds of hatred and uh, pain and, and blood, you know. Yeah. But if I have to say that something good, and there's always some good things, you know, that left that was like in places like in Hong Kong too and everything, cities, cities that are international cities, like Tangiers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and, uh, the people from those cities, they're special, and you find them all over, everywhere. Yeah. And uh, and they have a vision, you know, And, uh, and I'm very glad that I was at early age part of that world. It, it, it wasn't as, until much, much later in my life that I did start thinking about what I had lived when I was a child, you know, and try to extract 
a lesson from that. Yeah. So you were there from eight years old. So what's that? Third grade on through high school. Yeah, yeah. I did the first year of high school there. Then I went to Seville. Oh, okay. And uh, finished my high school in Seville. That had to be a culture shock. Yeah, because I mean, um, wherever I I've been in my life, they've been asking me the question of my life is, "Where are you from?" Oh, and now you're going to where you're from, supposedly, and you don't feel like you're from there. Well, that's 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 another thing, you know. That I mean, you know, I've spent most of my life here in Salem, Oregon. Yeah. Uh, my you- accent, my accent. When you when you and I we met, I think my accent wasn't as half thick that it is today. You remember that? You you've been hanging around a lot more with. <laughs> now that ha- what happened is at some point, you know, I didn't have to force my actions to to eat, you know, so I, I let the rest of the population, you know, train their ears, you know, which is a good training for the future. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, you're still rounding it out in a way that, you know, you're not throwing it out there, but you're not, you're not ricocheting it off me or anything, you know, like, like, you know, you're up in Northern Mexico or something, but Mexico city depends on the person. There's some people that talk to me. I mean, they cannot understand what I say. They, they don't sink. And other people, they have a very hard time at the very beginning. But after they know me for like 10, 20 minutes, then they sink. They go, oh, okay, okay. Oh, no. Right. <laughs> no. I know what you're saying. Yeah, that's that's what the computers are doing when they're like, hey, I need to hear you talk for a while because I don't know how you say things. And so you have to talk to it for a while. And it's like, oh, my God, it still doesn't understand me. Have you got a computer phone to understand you yet? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love those things. You know that. Yeah, I know you do. And so you got them to understand you. I, I love technology, and I believe in in the good use of technology for the advancements of the human race. Nice, nice. And you do. You always have been. You've always been that guy. So let me uh, say, like, you go to you go to Seville. You're hanging out in Seville. Right? Ah, good time, Seville, Seville. So you were scared going there. What happened? It sounds like you weren't scared for too long. Like you met up with some some folks. Did, what, yeah. what? What was that? So like when you went to Seville, I imagine you were scared to death because you're like, you've been in Tangiers like most of your life, right? Your first, your second year in high school, you're going to Seville. And now it's like, holy shit. I got to meet all new people. I got to become all this to these people and and you know i speak spanish but i don't speak their spanish maybe i don't know if it's that different but how different was that like i hated going to new schools man i hated it like but i would always kind of reinvent myself before i went i'd be like okay this is how i'm going in this and it kind of went okay yeah you you develop skills you know social skills i think they Later in life, they help too, you know, where you become a little bit the uh, uh, funny guy sometimes, or you could be a clown and everything. But those are actually tools, you know, of fitting in, you know. Uh, I remember the 
what was the name the um, Spider-Man's uh, girlfriend uh, Mary 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 Jane the dark the dark the dark hair ah, she was, what is her name not not the one Stacy now I'm flipping Spider-Man up in there and shit it's Mary Parker it's no, not, that's the that's the that's the Aoni Jane Jane. Oh, geez, never mind. Uh, yeah, right. that one, the one that was uh, an artist and everything, well, kind of the same childhood, you know, a little bit. But then in Seville, I mean, I was lucky because I went to cities that the city itself is alive. Yeah, um, yeah, Seville. I mean, Seville. The, the barber of Seville, the bullfighting, the, the 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 everything, the flamenco, castañetas, uh, the guitars in the street, you know, the nights, uh, with the moon. I mean, people going out until five, six, seven a.m. No problem, smiling. Yeah, yeah. Powerful spot. Good food, tapitas. Uh huh. Price. You have to pay a lot of money, you know, in in places like uh, Spain to eat good. Oh, I imagine. Yeah, Everybody I mean, you can go to places that are horribly expensive, you know, but still, some places with five bucks you can make it. Oh. But Morocco's easier, a little bit. In 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 what in economic terms, comparatively yeah. speaking, yes, is. Is he even a, even a little bit cheaper? Although I tell you something, I mean, Spain ha, had a decline in the last fifteen years, you know, and Morocco has been oh. catching up. So the markets are evening out. Like yeah, they're, they're almost almost even in many in many in many aspects, you know, and and um, and I believe in the in in area development. Meaning that it's not good that you have a neighbor that is poor. Mm -hmm. That's that's bad for you. No, yeah, yeah, no. I, you know that that point was driven home to me when I was in the Philippines, and I met my girlfriend's little house, and it's just a tin shack, a dirt wall on the bank, um, and then like a gutter to run the water away, and a tin roof basically open walls all the way around with, with like, you know, cloth that they would drop down if it rained, you know, if it rained real hard, just to kind of keep the wind in and stuff. Cause it was always temperate, always nice. So they didn't need a lot of shelter. They just need to be out of the rain, <coughs> out of the sun. Um, but the improvements in the town were, were horrible. There was no sewage. So literally everybody is dropping all of their waste into this little Creek now they get rains on a regular basis, so the creek's always flowing and it always goes out to the ocean and the crabs are always happy, you know, but they throw everything in there. And so the whole place is sick and diseased and, and the roads are crap. Everything's just not improved, right? And then there's this guy that's driving through that lives above the, all the people who has a big thing up in the hills, like a banana plantation or something. And he owns a got a lot, got off a lot of shops, as my girlfriend said, downtown. He owns the Palenque, she said. I said, what, a store in the Palenque? She goes, no, the Palenque. He owns the whole shopping mall, you know, open market. And he's driving in this, he's sitting in the back of this Rolls Royce, driving through what smells like and is a shit situation. And I'm like, 
How rich is he really? How rich is he really? Hmm. You know, because our, our wealth at some level becomes conjoined. You can live in a good city or you can live in a bad city. That's conjoined wealth. And within the cities, I mean, uh, look at the city where I live, Salem, Oregon. Yeah, it's a pretty good city. Pretty good city. But uh, like many other cities, it's got a downtown area. It's got um, suburbs, you know, looking good. And then it's got a couple of uh, neighborhoods, you know, that don't look good. Little, little challenge, little, little rough. But why? Price the people. Let Let's talk culture and social action. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. We can keep that on political. That's basic philosophy. We we'll go back. We we'll go back to Seville. But why cities don't invest in the poor areas? Why they don't they don't build a cultural reality? In poor neighborhoods. Yeah, why not? A nice cultural reality. Painted. Well, I don't know. Well, cultural reality is a, is a band-aid on top. Yeah, I mean, you give, I, I give you the pencil. We do like um, a really good like Boys and Girls Club type of center where you got these kids that either they are there or they're in a really shitty situation. Mom's doing crack or whatever at home, you know? So those type of things have been really good refuges for a lot of people to get on with their lives. So, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. A nice culture. But, but that, that is charity, what you're saying. Yeah. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about charity. I'm talking about a serious investment in ambience, you know, in uh, underdeveloped areas. So people uh, of better areas, they feel like they want to go there on a weekend and sit down in a in a place there. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we do know is that, that people who can't seem to get their shit together for one reason or another, and there's a lot of, you know, good reasons for people not to get their shit together. Um, Why is that? Oh, there's a lot, you know, psychosis, um, foster care. Foster care seems to be one of the biggest obstacles for people transitioning to adulthood and staying off the streets. Foster care kids make up a huge portion of the amount of homeless in our communities. And as far as mental health goes, if you're on the street for more than six months, you are probably many, mentally ill, even though you didn't start that way. Even if you don't do drugs, just the weather and the, the fear, the not being able to sleep day on end, that kind of stuff. Culturally, that seems to be the biggest challenge of our time is how do we undo what we let happen? We let a good portion of our society go because they had no bootstraps and we believe in bootstraps. That's right. Many people, they, they were not designed to cope with the kind of life that the 
we have created, you know, the expectations of this life. And then they, if they don't work as we expect they should be working, then uh, we start saying or we create the, the disease for them. That you have that kind of disease. And probably they don't have any kind of disease. Some of them, you know, or some of them, they have the disease because the system has inflicted the disease, you know? Well, it's it's really hard for people who totally believe that you can create with your own world um, and, and do. There's a lot of people who believe you can create your own world and actually do that. Um, it's really hard for them to understand people who can't do that, that really just need to go to a job where it's told to them what to do and they do it. But when those jobs go away, those people are left still there. They're of this type of mentality where they really don't want to create their own world and they don't know how. They probably don't have any tools, you know? And so how do you, how do you bring those people into a society or at least take care of them at those marginal levels where it's, uh, you know, health and comfort and safety and warmth and housing. I mean, they have to be guided. They have to be. What do we do with that? Yeah, but the, the first, I think there should be a selection. There is a necessary selection process. I mean, people don't want to talk about the selection process, you know, because it sounds, you know, like something that we don't want to go. But definitely, I mean, I think it would be fairly healthy, you know, to actually have the professionals that can identify and classify, you know, at least in, in a number yeah. of groups, you know? Well, you got to know what you're working with, right? Right. So right. if we were to go into, let's just say, one small area as Salem and, and just start talking to those people and finding out what they think their needs are, what their actual needs are, right? Through a screening of, first off, First is it's, it's tertiary, man. Get them clean. Get them deloused. Get them some clean clothes. Get them a shower. Let's sit down and chat. Right, right, right. Warm. right. Get warm. Yeah, get warm. Let's let's get in a warm room. Let's just talk for a little bit, right? I'd like to I'd like to go to Portugal and look at their um, their situations, or maybe even talk to one of their doctors um, on the podcast. Uh, that would actually be cool because you know they've done amazing things in bringing social structures into place to bring people back around and on the drug side, which we know inflicts a lot of our homeless. But I'm just talking about general homelessness. Um, there are people who are homeless right now from the fires. That, that That's what I'm talking about. I mean, there are people that they lost their jobs and, uh, and they, they were paying uh, too much, you know, and suddenly they, they were in the streets. And there yeah. are people that... That happened today, the horrible thing not long ago, you know. But those people, they're, they're still, you know, if they could be performing tomorrow in a, in a job and have their needs covered, and they would be okay. Yeah. They just need that, you know. They probably, they were working in an industry that doesn't exist anymore, you know. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's so, okay. what, I mean, in the old days, it was the church, right? Um, up to a point. 
wasn't it? Like, that church? When when everybody when when the poverty got really bad, it went to the church. Yeah. You know, they were the ones who took care of the poor and the needy. But not yeah, kinda, right? No? Yeah. Uh, like today, I don't think uh, things have changed much in the last 10,000 years of history we know. You know? 8,000 years of history, a little bit more. Keep you doing it from the, way. the Egyptian times. You know, things are still the same as far as I know. Probably before that. We'll talk about that. I read I read a book called The Egyptian. And um, the writer, if I remember, is called Frank Boris uh, from Northern Europe. And there was a movie made in the 50s. Um no, it wasn't Frank Boyd. That's a different writer. Uh, forgot the name of the writer. But anyway, the book is about ancient Egypt. And they picture the problems that they have in that society back then, you know, the, with the people making copies, you know, of the mummies uh, of animals, but they didn't have the animal in there because uh, there were no more cats, but they wanted to get the money, you know. The doctors, uh, the problem with the rich going to the doctor, how are you going to be safe? How much are you going to be paying? You know, I mean, the same darkness and the same joy that we see nowadays in our society. So I think we haven't advanced much more. And the poor people and the sick and everything, they still have the same roles that they used to have 7,000 years ago. Very little has changed. We haven't evolved. So it has something to do with our nature then. If it continues on, it has to do with our nature. Our ability to kind of, I think it's death itself that kind of makes us go, yeah, it happens. You know what I mean? After a while, you got to go, ah, yeah, shit's happening. Yeah, we go like that, you know. I mean, that's a, also a, probably a mechanism of self-defense, you know. But right. I also believe that there are steps of evolution. And that's what we need to look for. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, we've got definitely the tools now. We've got definitely the tools. Yeah, and the knowledge. I mean, the knowledge is there. I mean, tools is you know the you know the story of the Tower of Babel? That's a good story. That's a good story, because it's exactly where we're living right now. I mean, the Tower of Babel is a story of these people who wanted to make a tower so high that they could see, that they could get to God. Well, what happened is the tower got so high that, you know, they would start shipping supplies just halfway up. And so these people would stay down here and these people would stay down there. These people would be up there. And eventually they were up in this tower for so long that they all developed their own languages and they couldn't communicate with each other anymore. And then the whole tower fell apart because they couldn't get their instructions through. Is that true? Is that how that works? But that's kind of what's going on right now is we've got everybody speaking different languages. Everybody coming at the world from a different way. They're all, except we're all really the same, like what you're saying, like the same shit keeps happening century after century because we are essentially the same. So what are those evolutionary little twists we can do? I, it has to do with, with um, 
awareness. As far as I keep coming to, it has to come down to like mental models where we are thinking first. Yeah. I agree. Cool. I, you know, I like to be agreed with. Um, makes me feel. Yeah, you, you didn't expect that. Huh? One of those. Hey, what's that? You didn't expect that. <laughs> well, no, but that is truth. Uh, as far as I can tell, the real leverage lies in kind of understanding first off the elemental challenges of humanity, like because that's where you're starting. The, the elemental challenges of just being a human yourself and what your drives are, what your desires are and how they go against your own desires for a better self. It's kind of the same struggle for society. It's like this internal struggles, almost the same as the external struggle of the society itself. I think that the driving energy force in every decision that is taken should be sustainability. Well, it should be. Just an ability at a long, long term, you know, as much as we can. And then within that sustainability, let's shine, you know, but sustainable. I mean, we have developed a system that is clearly not sustainable. And that is the problem to me, at right. least. Well, one of the big challenges, we have a huge consumption. And... And we're also going to be losing production if it gets too dry in our growing areas. If California dries out, <laughs> hello, famine. If California dries out, I imagine that most people, they're going to take north and they're going to try. Doesn't matter. The whole world doesn't get fed. You see? Well, well no, 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 no. I don't think so. A good chunk. I mean, they, yeah, there would be there would be an impact, but uh, and there would be hunger, but the world will evolve. I mean, we, we just have selected so much what we want to eat, you know, that we're producing things, you know, in a non-sustainable way. But there are ways to produce things in each part of the world, you know, that can sustain an X number of people. Yeah. I mean, Chicken. so chickens. Chickens are awesome for that. Like, they're the best, best above ground crop you can have. The chicken is good, but it's bad. I love chicken. You know, I like fried chicken. You know, I like cooked chicken, baked chicken, chicken nuggets. Yeah. Chicken you nuggets are just spoons for mustard sauce. Well, 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 I mean, you you gotta use the good chicken nugget, the organic chicken nugget. Uh -huh. That's a free range. How much? How much range does your chicken have? You want have chickens? Then one of Hawaii chickens, full free range. The my chicken goes to Portland and flies back. You know, every week, three times. How do you like that range? <laughs> Oh man. So Seville, how 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 old were you when you left Seville? I never left Seville. And part of me is still there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Your your parents still live there, don't they? My parents they're still there. My brother is still there, and um, and I keep a presence in there even if I don't go. I haven't been I haven't been there in the last two years. Yeah, I keep a presence. Yeah. And I'm involved in a few things in there that has to do with culture. And um, hopefully one day I'll be able to spend more time there too. Yeah. How'd you end up in Oregon? A woman. A woman. A woman. Convinced me to come to Oregon. He fell in love with a woman. Yeah. What was she? I'm I'm still with that woman. Was she an exchange student? She was an exchange student. I don't know. No, there was no exchange. She was part of a program. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she was part of a program with the University of Seville. Uh, I met her there. You know, those were... Interesting times. I had finished with my times of Mallorca Island and entertaining parties. So I, I was a little bit more. Mess- boy. He's just more a- center, more yeah. center, you know, and serious. And uh, all you have to say is Mallorca, and that means oh, this dude fucked around, had a good time. Mallorca's yeah. crazy, right? I was in Mallorca. Mallorca is an island. Uh, in the Mediterranean Sea, close to Spain, and that's where it's one of the favorite uh, tourist and party destinations of Europe and part of the uh, so northern and southern hemisphere. So let's put it like that. So you're done with like some party summers, and now you meet this American girl at the University of Seville, and you're like, oh my god. Well, I was entertainer. I was an entertaining and public relations manager in one of the biggest hotels in Mallorca. Mm. And that was, how, how old was I? I was 20 little. That's a pretty heavy job for a kid. That's cool. Oh, yeah. And I had a suite of the hotel paid. Open restaurant, open bar for me and whoever I say I get that table is get a bottle of champagne. You had the rights. Oh, you got to be that guy. (laughs) I was, and I was the the guy hiring the singers, the dancers, and all of those. Oh wow! Oh wow! Did you get it hopping? Was it hopping? I I was this close to die by then. A doctor looked at me. At the end of those years, and they, uh, he told me I had a lack of uh, total lack of vitamin, a vitaminosis. Your yeah. body doesn't is you. You have taken your yeah. body like and, like a body weight. Yeah, I did that. Yeah. So I know that life too. You had that wildlife. So you guys get you get married in Seville or you get married in America? We we got married in Seville. We got married in, in a very ceremonial, serious, uh, beautiful uh, thing that happened at the Cathedral of Seville. The, oh, wow. in, uh, 
And then I had a, an archbishop that then later became a cardinal doing the, the thing, the yeah. ceremony. Carlos Amigo. Monsignore Carlos Amigo. A good friend from the times of Morocco because I knew him, the cardinal, when I was in Morocco because I was a Catholic boy. So I used to go to the Catholic church and in the Catholic church, I was altar boy for a few years. <laughs> so he married you. He married you and then I kept the, the friendship of the years and I still talk to him every now and then doing well. Ah, good. In old age, and uh, and uh, when uh, when the last pope and everything well, it was interesting times, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting times. So you got married, and did you stay there for a while, or did you come right to America after that? My wife had an accident back then, and um, I left uh, what I had in Spain back then. I had an academy. I was teaching languages because I okay. need the languages, you know. Uh -huh. But uh, my wife had the accident, and uh, I came to officially and permanently to America. I had been in the U.S. before. I in eighty nine, nineteen eighty eight, and nineteen eighty nine, I was in Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah, go ahead. I'm gonna mute. I have to do something. Okay. Keep telling me about Madison. Madison, Wisconsin. That was a, that was the first time I I came to the U.S. My parents graciously sent me. They had a, they're both teachers, but they 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 save enough money so I could go to the U.S. And then I came to Madison, Wisconsin, and I took some. Uh, classes of advertising at the University of Madison, Wisconsin, sat down back there. And uh, that was my first contact with the Latin American reality. Yeah. Latin American. Back then. Well, what's I, a Latin, who, what Latin American community is in uh, Madison? Uh, Puerto Rican? Mexican? The, the, the Mexican? Puerto Rican? Cuban? Uh, Guatemalan, Uruguayan, uh, it's a big mix. It's a big mix, actually. Yeah, yeah. and, uh, and uh, many of them they were agricultural workers, but uh, some of them and they were also the people of all trades, and there were uh, some people that were also uh, professionals that, that were already there. I mean, in that sense. Um, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, you know, the big cities and uh, not so big cities. I, I think they were a little bit more advanced than Oregon, you know, where where all those things are happening now. Right, right. Well, bigger cities, I mean, in general, there's more happening and, and things tend to travel because travel through the cities quicker. Yeah. Things tend to stay the same out in the, out in the suburbs. And, and then way out in the country. Right. Same. A lot more of the same. So uh, take a, like a little five-minute pause. Uh, Latinos, first contact. 
African American community first contact. Yeah. So this Asian, Asian community first contact. So it had all been Spanish people and Northern African people up until then. So African Americans, uh, Latin people outside of Spain, Asian community. Yeah, Wow. When I, when I say African-American, uh, as you can imagine, in Morocco, in my class, there were African black people. But back then in Morocco, it wasn't a group. So in, in, many, in many Arab countries, you know, there is no such a big difference between... Uh, Black and white. Oh, so you had never seen it like that. Right. Uh, as a, right. I, I have seen them as mixed within the Moroccan population, you know? Yeah, same, same as. Right. No, as a as a as a group well culturally defined uh, with artistic movements in your know, music and Everything, you know? All on the economic scale, not isolated in these uh, ghettos, basically, which is what you would exactly. have come So yeah. I was able to, to, to look into that very important part of our culture at early age in Madison, Wisconsin. I had a girlfriend that was Asian also back, back there. And, um, and I got in touch with the U.S. Asian community, family, normal thing, you know, going restaurants, you know. And it was a, a beautiful experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's... that's it's a nice opening up, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about America. First time I really noticed like um, kind of homogeny was in Korea. You know, I'm walking down the street and I'm just me, white guy in the middle of Korea, which is a sea of faces of Koreans who look very different from me. And it was the first time I really recognized myself as being outside the norm, but it was also the first time I'd ever recognized the fact that America was so mixed up, even, even if you're in like a white community, it's like, they're all different. You know, you got black haired white, you got red haired white, you got blonde, you got, you know, it's just kind of like, there's a difference, but like when, when I was in Korea, more, more hairy, less hairy. Less. Yeah. It's all skinny, skinny fat. It's so very different here. Whereas you go to other places like the Philippines, most of the people look the same. You know, they're small people. They don't eat a ton, which is smart, you know, unless they're rich, then they get bigger. And everybody's like, oh. Not anymore. That, that's that's long time ago. Yeah. And now it's changing. It's changing everywhere. Diet. The world is becoming homogenized, which is what America has been for a long time. So that's, I think it's a good thing. It's like Tangiers. Once we all get everywhere, we can't fucking bomb each other anymore. Because my aunt's over there. My cousin's over there, and we do business with them. That's uh, one of the next steps of human evolution, to recognize what you just said. That, that is, 
lever, but that may be the lever we were looking for. I mean, that's kind of the lever capitalism's been looking for. But in the in the end, they've gotten so much power that they've really stopped. They've, they they can't really see us over here. We're just customers. Yeah, but that that message of the sin is very ancient. I mean, most religions they tell you that that, that everyone is equal. You know. Yeah, and, and then you see what happens. So they say everyone is equal, but they don't actually make that happen, do they? They don't want to practice that. Well, it's a, it's a very difficult thing to practice because we're not equal. Some of us are really smarter than others. Some of us are faster than others. That's right. That's real. Others, but we're all humans. Or more passive than others. And we all have different places that we come at it from. And there's no model that fits everybody. And capitalism is a model that fits a good chunk of people. And you can find your place in it if you are led there. But there's a lot of people who don't know where to go. And I don't know that some people have a place in it. Some people are just not fixable by the capitalistic system. So what do we do with them? Do we treat them subhuman? Is that what happens? You can't. You're, you're too stupid. You're too slow to do this. So That's, that is exactly what is happening. Mm -hmm. That is exactly what is happening. Yeah. Used to be we could just put that guy on the line putting bolts on things. Now we got a machine that does that. I don't know. I, I like to, you know, I talk to young people. That's something that can keeps me young and feel like a kid mentally. I behave like one sometimes, often. But uh, one thing I like, I like about the kids, uh, kids, the new generations, is that they know, they know that this whole thing of the right, the left, the socialist, the communist doesn't go with them. No, what you need solutions. I don't need a side. I need solutions. Yeah, by the way, there's also a part of our society still trying to impose those those terms of the 19th century, you know, into the kids. And they're going to rebel against that, their way. Well, it's hard to get their attention. So it's, it's hard to hold them now. And they don't know how to do it. Um, so it's going to be challenging to bring those people on board unless you've got a good idea or something that serves their selfish needs, which, you know, people... Yeah, are who, who, who brings on board? Who, who gets to bring on board? That's a good question. Say it again. Who gets to bring people on board? Who decides, who make bishops in here? Why are we going to bring them on board? And maybe they don't want to be on board of that boat. Well, capitalism says you're self-selecting, right? You decide to come on board. You decide you want to be an engineer, so you decide to go through the hoops and hoops and, you know, jump through, lassie through the hogs, head a real fire as long as it's engineered correctly. Um Sure, I mean, you can be Rocky Balboa, you know, but uh, that doesn't happen in, in big numbers. It happens like uh, once every... 
Right. Right. So the big money's the big money's on super talent, right? Big money's on super smart, super fast, super strong, super brilliant. I mean, just all the all the things that we all look for. You know, that's why the Olympics exist. Right? <laughs> so that's where the real money is. In and the Olympics? No. Not really. Well, it can be. Look at look at look at Caitlyn Jenner. You know how expensive that is? That's an expensive operation, bro. Yeah. A lot of money's on a Wheaties box. Just saying. Oh yeah. But but the real money is in, I think, playing with money. And and playing with with portable property or considered portable properties and being able to leverage from one level to the next with those portable properties in a trading environment and getting your margins and ah that's not my game man that seems like a whole lot of playing other motherfuckers for me and it just feels kind of weird and it's hard for me if i had a little magic wand that you can only use it once, you know, once to make a change, you know, something that is going to hopefully make a, an impact uh -huh. on the future of humankind. I will ask that one to get rid of speculation, all kinds of speculation. Well, isn't speculation where hypothesis is built? No, I'm talking about economic speculation. Oh, I did when you when you put in a box ten dollars, you close the door, and then you come tomorrow, you open the door, and there is eleven dollars. Yeah, that's a problem of planet Earth. One of the biggest problems, because when you find that dollar, then you get very happy because you got one more dollar. You know. But you never think how can that that dollar go there, you know? Well, there's always some labor or some material or some thought and, you know, kind of mental capital put into anything that is being exchanged. That's a beginning, but the people that saw that they, they had one dollar, you know, they didn't have enough with one dollar. Well, I don't have enough with one dollar. Yeah, I mean, we, with one magic dollar, the, the one that you get in the box without doing nothing. I'm not talking about the, the dollar that you have to spend eight hours, you know, selling and then you make the dollar. I, I like that dollar, you know? Right, right. Yeah. I'm just talking about the dollar that you have a box, a magic box, you put a 10 and tomorrow there is 11 or 20. Yeah, that's, what the whole, uh, that's what the whole stock market and the cryptocurrency world is. There, there you go. Being a shareholder is. Yeah, and especially when it goes into things that happen in the future. Yeah, so you don't even need to put the $10 in the box, you know? Now you're playing with the price of coffee in 10 years <laughs> to make yeah. money today. That is criminal. Yeah, because really what's happened down there is the tree did its thing. The people did their thing. They put it on a plane. The plane did its thing. They dropped it off in a market and somewhere in America and somebody roasted it. They did their thing. So there's five, six levels of value add right there. 
and uh, maybe 10. And uh, yeah, everybody has to take their little little snack off the top just so that they can stay in business so that they can buy their next plane or they can, you know, grow that, their... That, that is a point. And they make everyone participate on it. Well, it's 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 collectivism, and it's it's an agreed upon form of commerce. How we manage that commerce and where it goes is up to laws. So right now, the laws state that the highest honor, the highest value of a corporation is to bring value to their shareholders. That's the end all be all of a corporate entity. That's not sustainable. No, no, it's throwing all the money to the people who can afford to buy more stock. And so it has created a situation where it's become more and more isolated uh, to less and less people. Um, and that's, that's not sustainable. I was thinking some years ago about an idea where you would just take um, anybody who worked in a corporation would automatically become shareholders, much like um, Winco. So literally everyone who is in the organization who's actually putting in labor, time, and energy into the quality of the organization are receiving the benefit of that organization. Cooperativism. Um, and so if I were as a shareholder at, say, a car company back in the 70s and the, and, the, and the shareholders decided, yeah, we can still be shareholders, but we as shareholders can now hire our own robots, guess what I am? I'm a shareholder who owns robots who used to be a worker. You see? Now I got the little fucking magic jar. Uh. If they're going to hire robots, why don't we let the people who used to work them own the robots at some level? And that's kind of what Andrew Yang is talking about, but kind of in a mixed way. It's like, okay, so we're getting, we're getting, you know, 2000% value out of this robot over a human. So why don't we give 10% of that 2000% value back to humans or maybe even 20% back to humans, Right so that we can actually sustain the community from which we stole that job. The robot. Yeah, the robot stole the job from this community. Therefore, there's one less household that has uh, the ability to pay rent and buy food and keep themselves warm. Right? This robot did that. Right? It was my favorite robot. Hmm. Simon? It was earlier than that. Earlier than that, oh, it was in a movie. Yeah, uh, I don't, I, I don't know if you like it or not, but it was a Woody Allen movie called, called The Sleeper. <laughs> he is the best robot of all time. Yeah, when he gets the orb, oh my god, he's about the best. <laughs> Woody Allen. Oh, doesn't that doesn't that suck when your heroes are creepy? I like that. (laughs) 
Oh, shit. Yeah, he marries his daughter. That's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. I think that what makes a, a great person great is that when he, uh, the person gets very high, but he's able to really, really ridicule himself, you know, with joy. Yeah. 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 You have to. You have to be able to bust your own balls. That's good. Right? Yep. So what are you really into these days? I mean, well, surviving, working. I work full time. You work from home? In Oregon. Yeah. Um, I've been working for the state of Oregon for the last 21 years. I work for the employment department. And then I work for the Oregon State Lottery. And you remember what happened? Yep. When I left there, not in very good terms, after seeing all the corruption that the lottery officials, you know, mm -hmm. were doing in order to get away with a forbidden by federal law project called the Orcade. Oh, yeah. Under a... Yeah, I tell you, I think that's my probably my greatest contribution to the to Oregon and to the United States of America. Was to have been able to stop online gambling at a state and probably national level because Oregon was gonna be the lab, you know, for this whole online gambling thing. Yeah. I th I think it would have been horrible. Oh uh, it, yeah, if I, if, I like, if we had that during COVID, I would still have a job. I guarantee you I would still have a job because everybody would be sitting at home playing video lottery on their fucking phone and, and just spending their unemployment. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I thought for a moment how naive of me, you know, that probably with the COVID times, you know, since the video lottery machines had to stop at some point, you know, they have been, yeah. It would have been a perfect time to drop it, to restructure, you know, the hospitality system and the bars and compensate and everything, but get rid of that. Yeah, I don't know. think it's possible. They're all addicted now. So the state parks are completely funded. The state has no desire to take back over state parks so if that happened again it would have to go back to gas tax but gas tax is now going to the to the to the uh to the state police and and the schools and economic development and you know there's just a lot of programs that if they cut the lottery off there'd be a lot less money in the system for those programs granted yes. it ruins a lot of lives it does yeah that's but that's the way that the the dirty business shields itself making deals you know no the state is as addicted to it as as the gamblers are you see and the state is the constituency as well people of oregon are not going to vote out the lottery well we'll see one day 
Yeah, maybe. Maybe at some point, you know, critical mass, enough people get fucked up by it. But right now, I think the benefit of being shut down is, you know, these people are like getting away from their addiction at some level. Maybe, you know, they might be just going to their smartphone and now doing some sort of gambling online somewhere. I mean, gambling is always going to happen, you know? Yeah, yeah, I I understand, you know, but the institutionalized gambling, that that's not a good thing. And I found out at some point, you know, I mean, I mean, there are people that lose their lives, their lives, their families, mm -hmm. their health because of that. And we should not be part of that. Mm -mm. We shouldn't be. And I'm not. Not anymore. That's good for you. Well, I don't have a job now. I don't have any money. I don't know what to do next. Um, and I'm 58. I don't have the energy to learn a whole lot of new things. Um, I think I'm just going to go to bartending. Bartending and doing this. I think it's a good blend. I don't know. I'd like to just do this, but I can't make any money doing this. Unless I had some sugar daddy out there. Sugar daddy. I need a sugar daddy. I need a sugar mama. Somebody help me. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> give me some love, wouldn't you? That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. This garland pepper show, baby. Everything just took a turn, honey. That's right. Matias has got his groove on. Look at that smiley face. Wish I had some guitar backup. Wish I had some guitar backup. Don't I? Don't I wish I had some guitar backup? Yes, I do. Good times, Senor Fox. So this has been the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. And uh, I've been here tonight with my good friend, Matias Trejo de Dias. As you can see, we could probably talk for, what, 100 years? 101. Well, I would like to answer the, the question that you asked me. You know, what, what do you do nowadays? Yeah. So nowadays, what I do is um, I work my full time. And then I am volunteering my time in two or three fronts. One of the fronts is a non-profit organization that I founded and I am the director and, um, and it's called the Instituto de Cultura Oregoniana. Uh, what is that? Uh, well, it has to do with language and culture and identity. So as uh, everyone knows, there is a bunch of people in Oregon that speak Spanish. Some people call them Mexicans. The more than that, most of them they're Mexican, but they're more than that. There's people, and there are many that yeah. are born here in Oregon. So they're Oregonians. That's true. Most of my Mexican friends have been Oregonians. Like they were all, most of my Mexican friends have been born here. Um, yeah, I've had a, I've had a few immigrant friends. There, you know, they don't talk to. The gringos much the immigrants because they're you know they're not integrated yet but but the kids do 
And so second generation Oregonians that are Mexicans, I have a lot of friends that are second, third. I have a, like a friend that's third generation Oregonian. Uh, yeah. Mexican, Mexican Oregonian. Like well, unfortunately, 80, 90 years. Our system, unfortunately, our system, the U.S., Oregon, any kind of empire, you know, or dominant society works fairly similar ways, you know. It's trying to contain <clears throat> the threat of a new population that speaks a different language that people cannot understand. So what the, our society has been trying to produce for many years is Hispanic people, Latino people in English. Yeah. And that works and can be done, but it, it's got a lot of... It, it's got nuances that if you go too far, it fucks it up. And... And I, I saw it. I, I've seen it in a few. Uh, so I, my favorite are are the are the Mexican Americans who are grown up Mexican, and American, right? In terms of like, so I had some kids who are who worked for me when I was a manager at KFC, and these were two really super great straight laced kids, whose mom, first generation Mexican did not teach her children Mexican, Spanish. Right. Because they didn't want to be less than the rest of the people. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want to be humiliated. Right. So at the end, what, what we have is a generation of kids that they cannot understand their grandparents. And they're totally disconnected yeah. with their ancestry. Oh, yeah. And uh, now... So that's... That's the good. That, that's, uh, that's a lot of identity and uh, problems. Yeah, that's shame, right? And and also have a terrible consequences, you know, for for our heritage. Let me explain that to you very quickly, if I may. So most Hispanics in Oregon. If you ask them what they feel or what they think about, let's say, Lewis and Clark, they would probably look at you or look to you, you know. I won't say anything. Yeah. If, <laughs> try, try, trying to be polite. Here. Stay out of that one. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. if you really have the the trust you know they really speak your soul let me tell you look those are the people that came here to massacre my ancestors and i don't give a shit about them or any part of the history or anything i'm not gonna destroy anything but i'm not gonna move a finger to help it okay mm -hmm. that is a problem Mm -hmm. That is a problem because it's the, it destroys our culture and our heritage in a place, let's say, like Woodburn, Oregon. Yeah. The, one of the most culturally diverse cities in Oregon, probably. 
that's a that, that's a place where many studies should be conducted because there are many things that do not work. More things don't work in Woodburn than work. <laughs> that's true. It's eh? really a, a poorly designed city in so many ways. And uh, and, it, and it's a, a laboratory of how not to do things. You look at, I mean, but let's go into the heritage. I don't want to hit myself, okay, with conversation that I get passionate oh, with. No, no but I, settled, I settled major house, settled major house, which is one of the pillars, you know, historical pillars of the city of Woodburn. Yeah. That's a house. So beautiful. Beautiful, still beautiful. But the pipes, the electricity, the maintenance is very expensive. Yeah. And they don't and they don't have anyone Hispanic that volunteers or even less that contributes with money, you know, to the support, donates. Zero donations. That's a settler's house. That's the settler house, the most historical property for the Victorian age, you know? Yeah, it's that is foundational. And 80% of the people don't give a crap about that. And it's right in their neighborhood. Yeah. It's right in the Mexican neighborhood. Right downtown, old town. Same thing with the museum. Yeah. Disconnected, disconnected. This society, they, in these situations like Woodburn, Oregon, what they look is for Latino, quote, leader, leaders, that they're not the leaders and they're not Latinos for real. They're just people that want to make business and they, they have to say that represent the Hispanic Latino community. They will say that, you know, but they're disconnected. Play Some out. of them, they don't, they don't even speak Spanish, which, hey, totally fine. I mean, the Hispanics that don't speak Spanish, my respect, but they're so, victims. Woodburn High School is separated into three high schools because it has three dominant languages. It has a Spanish language dominance, a Russian language dominance, and an English language dominance. So it is, like you are saying, it is the worst scenario for almost any town. Um <clears throat> and the town is separated exactly in the same way as well. There is a Spanish side. There is a, a uh, white person side. And there is a Russian kind of all around the town. The Russians kind of are in the outskirts and also in town. Um, and when, it, the whole, when the whole COVID-19 at the beginning, uh -huh. the city of Woodburn didn't have anything in Spanish. Zero information. That's what we've been doing in my organization, sending letters to the governor and talking to city officials, say, please put something in Spanish. Well, the same with you. You know, all, that, all this management nothing. speak of has, uh, you know, privileged white man stamp all over it. I mean, from the shopping mall outside the fucking highway to the, to the highways going through each side of town. I mean, 99 is where the town built up. But they could have they could have been really a much smarter about the way they did that town. 70, 80 percent of the people in Woodburn speak uh, Spanish. City Hall doesn't speak Spanish. English only, please. In okay. Proper town. 
Okay, yeah. So that's what the problem is in Woodburn, is they don't recognize their community. No, they no, And that ultimately what it brings, you know, is, and what it creates is a ghetto. So I, I have friends who grew up in Woodburn as white kids before it was 70% Mexican. Yeah, and that was back when the train yeah. had a stop in Woodburn. Yeah, and you know, and the Mexican people used to come through as as workers until a few years ago. They, they just kind of stopped. Now it's just like we don't do those kind of crops anymore. We do grass. We do, you know, that kind of stuff. We don't do uh, crops that require a lot of workers very much anymore. I don't know if you've noticed, but you don't see the workers out like you used to. I haven't seen strawberries in a long time. Right. I mean, the population is just part of a normal population. Yeah. Like in Hillsborough. Yeah. You know, they, and they do every kind of trades. You know, they're, they're, they're doctors and they're nurses and they're teachers and they, they have a little shops and they have a taqueria, you know. So here's the truth of the matter. People weren't, afraid, weren't, weren't pissed off about immigration as long as everybody was picking their fruit. But when they started building houses and taking Bobby's job, you know, and, and doing better jobs at it and started doing roofs and started doing drywall and started doing plumbing. Guess what? Bobby got mad. And it's all about those damn Mexicans taking their jobs. And that's when it happened. They didn't care about yeah. picking fruit. What is, what, what is happening is this. You get I-5 and in one side you got the number one business in Oregon. The Woodburn Factory Outlet. Right? Is that a business in Oregon? How much of that money stays? Yeah, let's, let's call that a business in Oregon, okay? Doubt it is. Money, money goes in there. Money goes in there, but how much of it stays here? It ain't okay. a business. Okay, well, that, that's where I'm going. I mean, you got that at this part of I-5. And then at this, in the other side of I-5, you got the best Mexican food of the Northwest. Yeah. How many people from the Woodburn Factory outlets go to try the best Mexican food. No, no, no one. No, no one does. Because scary. You know, the Food Channel, they need to talk about Barack Obama going there. I've been there. Yeah, yeah, that, that wasn't enough. And, and that's normal because if you go to Woodburn downtown, it looks scary. I'm not scared when I go down there at all. No, I mean, not scary for people. I'm talking scary carry of how all dirty, you know, and broken things are. I kind of like that stuff, though. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, but I, I, I like old stuff, but not broken and not dirty, yeah, you know? Not dirty, not creepy, but, you know, there's – but in the middle of it, there's some really good tacos, man. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I think that could be developed, and that's what I'm trying to do right now. It could be developed, and then the way – the same way we have at Disney World, we could have Woodburn, Oregon, you know? Been the place where many people they spend a whole weekend. There's a good enough. There's a good good enough room to put a good park between there and the railway yard, so that it looks nice from the buildings. Yeah, that whole glamour, thing. glamour, yeah, business, a, a, a causeway, a beautiful causeway. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bilingualism, multiculturalism. You know, good music. Yeah, they need Night a, they need a park. Nightlife. But I don't know, man. They're, they're dealing heroin out there right now, you know? Of course they are. 
and it's a trip. It's a trippy little town. So like the people I knew who grew up there, you know, they're like, fuck, it just flipped out. It's wrong, you know? Um, because, because the state of Oregon has let the city be left, you know? Well, Remember the train? Yeah, yeah. Well, what would you do differently? I mean, how would you repair that? I mean, at some level, you've got, like, just the culture of the people. That you've got, you go to, you've got you go to downtown. You got downtown. What's that? Woodburn downtown. Yeah, and you bring one hundred million bucks and few investors in there. Okay, and first you take bulldozers and you take everything away because that's old stuff. All of it's old Very, stuff. Old stuff. Old stuff. Nothing. Nothing really. Couple. Couple of houses that has a little bit of. Historical value, you know, the museum. That well, some of those old buildings are still good, yeah. No, they're not. And stone buildings, or are they all just cheap brick? Uh, the, the, those things they were built bad from the beginning. Oh, they were ramshackle. Oh, train town, train stop shacks. I mean, take the bulldozer and rebuild the the original thing with good materials. For example, that's fine. Yeah, go do a do a real job, you know. Document, then bring it back. Then these tiendas, you know, with a mom and pop just making a living, how can they afford to do that? I mean, it's kind of the Mexican culture is, you know, we can do it small. You and me, you know, we can save up a few bucks. We can pay the rent. We can buy some stuff. You know, put it. That's totally fine, and and those would be the businesses. (coughs) That's it. Those who be the businesses of Woodburn, people small, mid-size, you know. But if you spend a hundred million dollars in capital to build something, the people that are going to go in there don't have the capital to pay your rent. Well, you need to have you need to have a source of money to pay for that investment, you know, and uh, and produce. And the, what I would propose is to have help to these restaurants so they become like popular restaurant with a lot of tourists going there, you know, uh, talk to the Rodillo, Harry Peo, you know, and have all the contests of uh, Rodillo's Mexican uh, style charreria in well, Woodrow. Old town. Looking good. So what do you... What do you what do you maintain of old town to keep it old town? I mean, if you're, if you're going to do that. Otherwise, why are we bringing them there? We're just bringing them to another mall. You know, we're bringing them to the mill district in Bend. Is that what you're thinking? The railroad district in Woodburn? A little bit. Okay. Concert halls with... Better, better than, better than, you know, I mean, I, I would really like... I mean, the models that right now exist, you know, they can be modified. They don't have to be totally dropped. You can make a a model that hasn't worked because of the corporate greed, you know, into something that actually pay attention to the family business. Well, you know, if, if I were to integrate a city model with Mexican culture, it would have several places for big gatherings like quinceañera. Yeah. And weddings, uh, wedding re- receptions, and things like that. Uh, 
I don't know if that happens as much in Woodburn as it does, you know, say if you're in, in Mexico City and there's a lot of people around, you know, I don't know how connected people still are there. I don't know. Does Are, are Quinceañeras big or yes. is kind of like 12 people? A lot of fiesta, safe fiesta, a place where you can go and have party in a safe and cool manner. That's what people want. So, yeah, if you could create a, a strong sense of fiesta there. So let's say if you were to look at um, uh, just up on I-5 on the left there with the crate and barrel, what's that big fancy place over there? What's the that, one? that mall kind of thing? What's it called? The one by crate and barrel, but it's kind of like a city. It's almost like mini Disneyland. Oh, <laughs> the, Bridgeport, but you take that and you flip it and you flip it Mexicano. Yeah, but Bridgeport is only corporations. Right. Right. Except for, except for a few, you know? Right. And the, well, there's some and the red space. Actually, if you want to fund this, there's some big brands out there that are Mexican that I think would be kind of into like uh, doing like a remodel of, of a Mexican community. Like, you know, the Tangin people, they must make a shit ton of money selling that lime chili sauce. You know, there's some brands out there. You know, the, 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 there's, there's those guys in Salem that make the tortillas. What are they? What is it? Don Pancho? What is, what are those guys? You know? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not talking about that aggressive commercial thing you know i'm, I'm talking well, more well, like uh, talking there is Miami and we have to reconstruct a city in japan you know you reconstruct the whole thing something like that sounds it's like almost a public project man. sounds a little like gentrification no no this is a public project almost so it would just be in the public spaces around those buildings right create create oh, you know the right infrastructure so businesses, family business, they can go and hook quickly to a place where they're going to have electricity, water, internet, you know, access to parking properly, lighting, you know, things like that. And then incentivate the culture in there, you know, and bring a lot of musicians, you know, pay a little bit here, there. So yeah. that thing becomes something. Then you connect bridges with the Woodburn factory outlet and you invite people to do whatever shopping they do, and then you come to Woodburn. Are there grants available? So let's say I'm Rico's Tacos, right? I, I forget the names, but anyway, I'm in this taco shop. And I'm in this building, and they charge me $500 a month. And I'm For a taco? What's that? For tacos? No, my shop. He's charging oh, okay, okay. 500 bucks a month. Because it's a shit building. He's been charging five hundred a month forever. He bought it for twenty thousand fifteen years ago. He's just making money. He doesn't give a shit. So he's yeah, five hundred bucks a month. And he gets tacos every time he goes in. The the landlord, right? So now Rico's is like, Oh, you guys want to put in a new building? What's the rent gonna be? And you're gonna be like, Well, it's gonna be two thousand dollars, and they're like well, we already make this amount of money and we still have this amount of customers and we still make 2000 and but we don't have to pay $2,000. What's your sell to get them to buy into, oh, I've got to pay $1,500 more a month in rent, maybe maybe even $2,000 more a month in rent. 
What's your sell? How do you do it? Is it going to be volume? That's the scenario where you get gentrification, you get the corporation. What I would like to see is something different, something like you're not going to pay 500, you're probably going to pay 800, you know, but there has been a public investment, public investment and private too. Right. You know, so we created the infrastructure so your business, you know, everything is going to be better. And it's going to take several years for the state, for the city, for the county, and for the private to recuperate. But it's going to be clearly an investment because there's going to be so much difference in, in livability. The amount of people to go there. Well, I remember once um, talking to a guy from Safeway when I was doing the training program for them. And, uh, and he was saying that um, a new store remodel will have a 50% increase in the first six months. And then it'll level back down to, but it'll, it'll never go back to where it was. And you know what I mean? So when they uh -huh. model a store, everybody's like, Ooh, let's go to the new store and they get new customers and they stay because it's cool. Right. Because it's a new experience because people like experience. Right. <laughs> we, <coughs> excuse me. They, I, don't, I don't think. Well, okay. Different subject. What's the next question? So that was an interesting subject, though. We just talked about Woodburn, and we talked about kind of city planning and, and the intricacies of the balancing act of trying to figure out how to unfuck a fucked up city. And um, and I know many of you weren't interested in Woodburn in particular, but I think the concepts probably fit something in your world. Um, so one of the things that uh, Matthias once, once, once told me was he, he likes to play pool. And he used to play pool. And I think this is probably an excellent story to, uh, to just kind of end our, end our show with. Um, and and uh, so he's in a pool hall in Salem. And he's the only Spaniard and everybody else in the pool hall is Mexican. And this guy screams out. What does he say? He pretty much screamed. That was after after I had been already like a couple of months, uh, something like that. I already had a little group of friends, you know? Kind of, kind of building in there. Yeah, but uh, back then I was talking like in the in the mid-90s when I got here, you know, I used to play yeah, yeah. pool back then. And, um, and there were a lot of different kind of uh, types of people, you know? In the at the cue ball back then, yeah, yeah, rough and tumble, everything, everything you got, everything you got, you got from Al Pacino to whatever you want, you know, it's all there, it's all there, you know, and the and Forrest Gump from Forrest Gump to Al Pacino, check, check that out, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in the corner of Al Pacino, back there, someone screams, Spaniard, like that. Shit. And there was, 
there was like a big silence, which was the worst thing of all, the silence, you know, because I wasn't expecting everyone to get silent. You know, I've been put in the spot, you know, I have been behaving fairly well, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I look at the person from the far away and the person throws the question. And he goes like, and Hernan Cortez, what? And then you could see everyone go like, now it was like tennis, you know? Hernan Cortez. But when they were looking at me, suddenly I felt, I felt for a moment that I didn't have any friends in there, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> your boys who were with you are like, I don't know. I don't got your bag now, bro. And I said something like, Hernan Cortez was a military guy and a son of a gun. But the person that said that, uh, that, that was too easy an answer, you know? Yeah. So he went for the real question. He said, and the gold that you stole, where is it? You know, the gold, it was the gold. Ah, and then I will go, you know, the gold. And I think I had a night, the, the angel that I told you that comes with me sometimes, you know, that's the angel that I could have been ended in hospital, you know, in many places, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gave me the answer. The, the gold, don't you worry, my friend. And everybody, what he's going to say, what kind of thing he's going to say. Don't you worry, my friend, because part of that gold went to my family. Oh. And, and I still have a little bit left. And I'm going to take it all and I'm going to share it with you and we're going to have a few drinks with it. <laughs> and, that can, and that kind of diffused the situation back then, you know? But there it was close. You, know? you got to buy drinks sometimes. Yeah, I never, I, never, I never got him a drink, you know? But um, that clownish, you know, answer, you know, kind of thing grabbed me a... An okay beginning, you know, to the, the people that then became my people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then um, it, it was the beginning of something. So that's interesting. Yeah, you're a Spanish man in a Mexican world. Well, I'm, I have my, my European me as an Spaniard from Spain, but I have my Hispanic me and my Latin me. You know, some people say, well, if you're from originally from Spain, you cannot be Latino because Latino is only from Latin America and you're not from Latin America. And I tell those people, yeah, that's fine, but that's in the English dictionary. Ah. In the Spanish dictionary, Latino is not someone from Latin America. Latino is someone in the meaning that I chose, we choose for Latino that speaks a language that came originally from Latin. Yes. So, so a Brazilian person is a Latino. Yeah. A French person is Latino. An right. Italian person is Latino. A Portuguese person is Latino. Mm -hmm. And, of course, an Spaniard is a Latino, too. Okay. All the Latin languages. 
That makes you Latin. All the Latin language. And that's oh, why you get Latin language. Languages. Hey. Hey. I love you. I love you too. No, I love you. I love you too. No, I love you, man. I love you and I admire you and I respect you very much. Okay. And when I grow up, I want to be a little bit like you. I want to be a lot like you and a little bit like you too. But I want to be a lot better at me. If I could make me as good as I could get, oh, shit. You know the best compliment that a man has said to another man and has been recorded in a movie? What's that? That's from the movie Casablanca. Yeah. In the movie Casablanca, you got Humphrey Bogart. Uh, he's got Rick's Cafe, you know? Yeah. All women in love with him and everything, and you and you got the the French policeman, you know, mm -hmm. and then the Major Strauser, the Nazi, gets yeah. to Rick's cafe, you know, and, and of course with the French corp, you know, escorting them, and he asked to the French police, the German asked, and who's Rick? And the French guy, or Rick, is the kind of man that if I was a woman, I would be in love with. <laughs> oh, man. That's like Theo Vaughn saying, I've never been gay, but I know why they do it. <laughs> you know? If you, oh, yeah. In my whole life, I, I haven't heard anything like that. That's, that's suave, finesse. Rick. He was, he, was, yeah. he was a suave man. He had a way with him, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, wow. Brother, our journey's been long together, and I'm just so glad you've been on it with me. And I'm glad that we... It's, it's not over. It's not over. I'm glad that we get to share some of our relationship with, with the universe out there. And uh, I think we had a really good show. I'm proud of it. How about you? Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm proud of you. And, uh, and I am honored and privileged to be part of this. And, and I'm part of your life. I'm glad to see you're having fun with this journey. I hope, your vision, I hope your vision comes together strong and beautiful and it helps bring community together. If, if It seems that that's your agenda. I think so. I would like to establish a new era, you know, where the United States of America recognizes its Latin American reality and then we become part of Latin America. And then uh, things start happening because if we become part of Latin America, we can establish economic and cultural relationships with Latin America, not like the classic gringo comes here, you know, gringo gets bananas and gringo lives dictator. So the price of the banana is cheap forever and ever, you know? It yeah, no, be like, we're part of the ones that set that price policy with the uh, Brown Banking Corporation back in the day. Yeah, but it's not working anymore. I think it would, 
it would make much more sense say like, hey, ¿dónde está nuestra silla? Where is our chair? Oh, in Spanish. Where's Because our chair? Are... Yeah. Oh. And, and, and relate to Latin American in Spanish as part of the club. All right. And then as part of the club, you say, okay, well, I'll go to the the next uh, music festival, you know, and we will have our representation, Oregon or the U.S. in Chile. Right. Here's what I need. And after, and after three years, you organize those things here in Oregon. That's the money. And that is the prosperity, shared prosperity. Shared prosperity. Where I hope. There? Where is yeah? the chair? Um, so, hey, send me the hashtags like that. I want to know, like, any good Mexican hashtags that I can put on this video? Like, where's the chair? Uh, you know, anything that you want me to hashtag, I will hashtag it. Because I need to hashtag stuff. I don't even know how to hashtag. I'm just hashtagging. Like, if you put um, hashtags Oregonia, on Oregoniana. Oregoniana. Look at that. Look at that. You have a yeah. you have a mental impediment to pronounce an easy word. Oregoniana. Oregoniana. There's a twist in there. No, no, there's nothing. There, there's a mental lock that you have. Oregonian. 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 Can you say Oregonian? Say Oregonian. And then Oregonian. You can say that. Okay, but then say Oregonian. Ah. Oregonian Anya. No. Oregonian Ah. Ah. Oregonian Ah. Yeah, now repeat that a few times. Oregonian Ah. Oregonian Ah. That's it. That's it. That's simple. There is a mental lock. There is a mental lock. I don't know what I'm going to do so people understand that you can be Oregonian in English. But in Spanish, you have to be Oregoniano. You cannot be Oregonian in Spanish. The same way that you always be Oregoniansky in Russian. Oregoniansky, okay. Oregoniansky, Oregonianska. So this cultural diversity thing. That's the reality of Oregon when you speak Russian for the Russian people. Oregoniansky, Oregonianska. Here's Oregoniana. Here's your big challenge. And this is me being kind of a closed up open person. <laughs> well, it's a dream, and, and yeah, challenges like for for me. I'm 58. I've learned a whole lot of things in my life, and there's a whole lot of things that we really should learn. And I think these things should become the cultural norm, so that when kids are growing up, they 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 learn Organanya and they learn Organinsky or whatever. You know, they learn these as part of their cultural heritage. But right. but for me, oh my God, I got. I'm, I'm I'm trying to figure out how to do fucking Dropbox, man. Uh, but it's a, again, it's a mental lock. Uh, I try to tell people that English language and Spanish language is almost the same language. Do you believe me? Oregonianya. No, 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 no. Look what I said. I said that the English language and the Spanish language is almost the same language. Do you believe me? Honestly. Oh, no. I remember when you gave that talk. <laughs> I remember when you're like, oh, I'm going to give this talk. You just add an A or an E. There you go. Yeah. If, if you speak Arabic, if you speak Chinese, you see that very, very clearly. 
that Spanish and English are almost the same language. Yeah. You know, I've been around Spanish my whole life, but I've never really learned it because I cannot learn a language because of my style of learning. I can't learn a language unless if I were to go to Spain and have a book or a little translator or something, and I would just hang out for a while within about two months, I'd be speaking some Spanish, you know? I would. You could do the same if you going to Woodburn. I would learn how to. Learn how to, how to What's that? You could be doing the same thing going to Woodburn, Oregon, going to Molala, or going to Hillsborough. Well, I can listen and I can kind of hear, you know. There was a difference. It's mental. I'm just catching a little bit at a restaurant, you know, and I'm listening in and I feel kind of guilty about listening in. I'm like, oh, what are they saying? And they're talking about this dumb, dumb gringo listening in, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> what is it? Hola, look at Wero. You hear him say the and you hear yourself. Well, I am Wero. I am you know that. You're Wero to them? I am Wero. Wero is light skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. But also, Wero uh, is American for some people. But yeah. like the skin, once you, once you get into Spanish speaking group, Wero means light skin. Oh, yeah. Werito. Now, can a Werito be a white woman? And Werito y Ito. Is a diminutive. Is what? Diminutive. Like something makes things smaller. Oh, yeah. Like no, little something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eh? I got a little piece of something. Ito. Ito. I got a vaso. Vaso. That's vaso. If you have a small one, that's vasito. Uh -huh. Hey, should we wrap it up? Yeah, a while back ago. <laughs> I have a wrap. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> well, uh, thank you for uh, hanging out with us as long as you have. I think you probably heard a few things. We had a little Spanish lesson there at the end. The Garland Pepper Presents podcast is a self-perpetuating reality. I'm actually doing all of the production, the design, the sales, the marketing, the learning of programs that have to be learned to do the things. It's a lot of work. I'm putting in a lot of hours every week doing this. And it's costing me a lot of time. And at one point, I could look for jobs a few times, a few hours a week, and then get back at this, and and I could get some unemployment. Well, that has stopped. So support is now becoming necessary. I have a support icon on my page. You can go ahead and support if you would like. Um, you can support. It's a monthly support system, so you can do as little as one dollar uh, a month, or as much as. 10 or 20, I think. I don't know. Nobody's done a 20 yet, so I don't think it goes to 20. Um, 10 bucks a month, and that'll help me uh, eventually get a better computer system. I'm trying to do all of this, including video editing, 
on a little MacBook Air, and I need to actually probably get a big setup. Um, and that's just another cost. Uh, and I got no income. I'm looking at becoming a bartender, which would probably fit in with this, but it's going to uh, juxtapose with my ability to be as creative as I'd like to be. But and I got to earn some money. So I'm going to do that too. So if you can support, please support. And Matthias, what you got? Nothing. Yeah, just wondering why working as a bartender will limit your artistic abilities. Time, time and energy. I only have so much. I'm 58 years old. I, I recognize my limitations now. I don't have the energy I used to have. Um, a bartending would eat up at least 35 to 40 hours a week, maybe 50 because I'm going to be running the bar. Um, I'm going to be dealing with people that are probably the same people every day, which is really not a creative outlet for me. You know, it's kind of like going to work because, you know, people who go get beer every day, a lot of them in a small town like that are going to be the same people. So, um, you know, I, I feel like some challenges there, but I feel like it might be good also, you know, I, getting my getting my feet wet in the bartending world. And uh, maybe I like it. I don't know. Um, but I got to find another source of income. Um, the, the support and sponsorship of this has been helpful in supporting my Zoom actually so far. So that's been good. Um, and uh, it's not really a, a an economic solution at this point. So we're going to work on continuing this for probably the next two years until it is an economic solution while I do other things. Well, keep in, line, uh, keep in mind public government because you have a lot of experience in that, you know? Yeah. Keep checking, keep checking the state, Oregon State page, you know, city, counties, et cetera, et cetera. And also keep, probably keep in mind other industries like the marijuana industry. Yeah, I've thought about a few things like that. And what I really need is time and energy to do this. This is occupying, like I said, at least 30 to 40 hours a week and just things I didn't even know I had to do. Like just social networking is a job now. And I don't, it's like, ah, now I got to go there. I got to go into that room. And then I get stuck there and I'm like there for an hour or two. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a fucking crazy. All right. Hey, y'all have a good one. Uh please subscribe. Um we're on YouTube, we're on Anchor, we're on Fa uh we're on Facebook, we're on uh Spotify, Apple Podcast, um Google Podcasts. And where uh, do you have the where do you have the donation link again? Um, so I will share the link with you on your, and you can share it on your social media. Um, you know, I'd like to try something. What if everybody just went and started sharing all my shows on their social media, like ones from last year? I mean, what the yeah, hell? That's, that's, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, is it? No, no, because I, I've done radio for eight years. You know, I thought many, many times about that. They never go back and do the old shows. No weird right no you can you can eventually get all the old shows you know and yeah. really trim everything and do an special 
Ah, uh, yeah, I'll probably do that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Y'all have a great evening. Take care of your lovers. Take care of yourself. Uh, love yourself first. Love your others better. And then um, figure out what you can do to make the world a better place by using your best skills. Love you. Out.